Croiso. It's Friday. It's time for Dragonheart. Well, there's not supposed to be any non-essential travel at the moment, and yet we went down to London twice in four days. It was essential because we had a heck of a week on the road. Firstly, we expected a tough test at Sutton, but it turned out to be more a case of Sutton dressed as lamb, as we came out with a really impressive draw. And then, in midweek, well, it all felt a bit like a really bad first date. We were given some problems by a dodgy barnet, but the evening ended with flowers being discarded. Tim Flowers, the barnet manager, of course, attacked his players after the match and then stormed out. Who do you think he is? Piers Morgan. We've got plenty lined up today, of course. Che Long and I will be talking about those two matches. We'll also hear from Darren Wright and we'll, in the course of our discussion of those games, pay tribute to the mighty Elliot Durrell, who this week really converted himself into a dog of war. So, let's get moving. It's time for Dragonhearts. The other side, you're listening to the Dragonheart Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Dragonheart. I'm Mark Griffiths. I'm joined by the invisible Che Long. As you can see, he's here in backdrop, but is not able to appear to us due to the mysterious ways of the internet. Still, you can enjoy that celebratory scene and you can still hear him. Hi, Che. Hi, how's it going, Mark? Unfortunately, I don't have my PC, so I'll have to do it by phone today and uh, I don't like the way I'm looking so <laughs> it, 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 it's uh, it's the Wrexham lads celebrating a goal against Barnet. Nice well I mean <laughs> if, if if I'd realised that I could absent myself by not liking how I was looking I wouldn't have appeared this season in the first place. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to set myself up with as much light straight on my face as possible so I, I got a sort of red and yellow like Partick Thistle shirt vibe going on at the moment uh, <laughs> or if you're one of them hipster types Lance nice French football team <laughs> um, Patrick Fissel love uh, it I, I, I used to love their stickers when I was a kid and you had a Panini stickers I used to love their kits looking at that I'm not sure if I've ever, ever got any other interaction at all with Patrick Fissel apart from that but anyway but of course to those of you who are listening in traditional podcast manner um, yeah, you're thinking, what the heck are they talking about? So maybe we should push on. We'll go over the last two matches of the week, a satisfying week at the office, shall we say. And we'll also be hearing from Darren Wright, an old Wrexham favourite of the 80s. So uh, let's get moving. It's time to get Dragonhearting. I'm Kerry Evans, and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio Show. Yeah, so a, a good week for Wrexham, really. Two away games down in London. Uh, let's not underestimate the effect just of travelling. I mean, quite frankly, you know, it's, it's as, as the commentator at Barnet said, they spent a lot of time stuck on a bus in the last few days. But two clean sheets, four points, and firstly, a draw away against, I mean, surely at the moment, the best team in the division. Uh, it, it wasn't pretty, but it was effective, wasn't it, Jay? Yeah, it wasn't pretty. It was a bit of a dull game, yeah. but as as we both said before the game, we were we were the Tucker draw. So uh, a draw against what 
is a top quality side, I'm very happy happy about. And in fact, I thought we got the better. I thought if anyone was going to score, it was going to be us. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm really happy. Totally. I, I saw it the same way. Um, I know they had that headed chance right at the end. But what else did they have? I mean, <laughs> for me, we've gone away to a very strong team. We've kept a, a good clean sheet. They've not troubled us. Has any team troubled us less than that? Barnet troubled us more. Um, and quite frankly, I thought it was revealing when you heard their manager, Matt Gray, talking afterwards. He was really pleased with the point. He, he knew that this was a game that was not going their way, that was difficult for them. Yeah, we didn't create a lot. I, I agree, but we created, I thought, a bit more in terms of meaningful opportunities than they did. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just a, a, a cracking result, to be honest. Well, de- well, definitely. And I think we could have been 1-0 up quite early. It was a one-on-one with Reese or Johnson, from yeah. what I remember. And that would have really changed the game, I think. But mm. as we both said in, in the preview podcast, it, it, it's, one, it's one of them. If you can get away, if you can go to Sutton, which, as we both said, is... They're the best team in the league, without doubt, at the moment. You know, they're fifth. They're, they're two points clear of Hartlepool with three games in hand. Mm. So that's that. That says a hell of a lot. And we've took four points from them this season, which is very promising. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they just didn't get going against us at all. I think okay, maybe our midfield was a little deep, which meant we didn't get enough support of the strikers. But then. You know, you still got a chance in that approach because you, you do leave two strikers up the pitch. Uh, and there, there were, there's a flurry of chances late on for us, just before their chance as well. And yeah, we looked in control. We looked tidy. The defence was excellent. I mean, Kelleher, again, absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? The way he was bossing that penalty area. Although it, it'd be unfair of me to single him out without also saying French and Carrington either side. Spot on. Oh, oh, definitely. Kel has a machine, isn't he? <laughs> At the moment, you could say he's the best centre-half in the league. Yeah. Uh, the way he's playing, he's, he's constantly consistent. And what impresses me for a man of his size, he's actually got a decent pace, isn't he? Yes. There was that one, wasn't there, in the first half where we had a set piece and he'd gone up for it. And then they broke away with Adjiboy, who's quick. And uh, Kelleher managed to catch him up, slide in and tackle him. That was... That was fabulous. That I mean, really fair play to him. I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's settled superbly, hasn't he? Oh, he's really, really good, and and I'm really got, glad we've got uh, this takeover now because I think you know the likes of him and Reese Hall Johnson. If we don't go up this season, I think teams in the league will be in league football will be looking yeah. at them and their performances. So I'm happy that we've got some sort of well, not 100 percent security with the takeover, but. We've got that bit more of a batter, haven't we, with these players, keep them, keep them at National League level or, or at Wrexham at League Two. So it, it, he's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, it, it's exactly what's been in my mind as well. Absolutely right. We are a club that, well, I mean, virtually everyone at our level, almost all the players will be on one-year contracts. And there's always that danger that we'll lose players either because they just want to step up to something higher because they've caught the eye, or just because we can't come to an agreement quickly enough. For example, uh, Davis Keeler Dunn in the summer, who's gone up to mm. Oldham, and he would have been a cracking player for us this season. But now, hopefully, 
we can hang on to players, not only because we can maybe have a bit more financial strength and, and get those deals done, but also because, you know, you can sell the project, can't you? So Kelleher, like you say, I mean, I would expect football league teams to be looking at him. He's played his career in the football league till he's come to us. Uh, but you can say to him, if we don't go up this year, right, you're part of a big project here. We're going to bring in a bit of quality in the summer. Don't you want to be part of this going up the leagues? And as he's clearly enjoying himself here and enjoying being part of what we're doing, uh, we've got a good chance of hanging on to players like him, whereas previously, yeah, we probably wouldn't, would we? No, that's just the nature, na- nature of the National League, though, isn't it, as a whole? Yeah. I don't think that's... It's not uniquely a Wrexham problem, is oh, it, no, that no. the good players just go up the leagues because it's quite cheap for these League One and League Two clubs to take a punt on a conference player. And you never know, you might find a Jamie Vardy. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. It's um, it's good that we now have this sort of thing that we have Rob and Ryan who can sell sort of something like, oh, I don't know, like, oh, you'll become a, a club legend of a town. Who's, and if you get us to League Two, you're going to be known as a club legend, aren't you? So, it's, it's nice to have that sort of reassurance, but it's still not a given that we keep all these players in the summer anyway, even with a big takeover. But, yeah, um, one thing I'd like to talk about as well is um, Durrell. I think he's been excellent the last few games, hasn't he? Oh, man. He's uh, he's just been a different player. And I don't mean that in a sort of, oh, someone's not been playing well, now suddenly they are. Genuinely, he's a different type of player, in my eyes. Um, he's just gone to war, hasn't he? He's just fighting for everything. And again, I'm not saying he wasn't before, but... I think our conception from the first seat to time he had with us was that he's a sort of bit of a luxury player, a creative player. Um, and, well, I mean, he was our first player guest of the season on Dragonheart, and I really enjoyed talking to him about, about his move back. And I was really struck by how he didn't talk like a luxury player. He was talking about how he's a fighter and how in training he hates losing even in training and, and he's a battler and that he'd like to be playing in midfields and doesn't like necessarily to play in the wing, but people keep putting him there and he doesn't really like it that much. Um, and in his last two games, I think we've really seen it. I mean, when we played him centrally, because we have sometimes this season, he's tended to be used a bit more behind the strikers. Um, if he's been a bit deeper, he's tended to be trying to get forwards and hasn't really done that midfield shift, I would say. I'm up criticising him and saying that's what his instruction clearly was. And it hasn't totally gone for him, frankly. Whereas these last two games, he's been playing more as a genuine central midfielder. And my God, <laughs> I mean, he's a fighter. He's fighting away for everything. He's delivering exactly what he said in that interview. He, he, the, he's winning tackles. He's covering a hell of a lot of ground. Um, he's winning a... a I've got to say, a good portion of competitive headers for a, a little guy. Um, oh, he's, he's a he's a warrior. I've really enjoyed the last few games from him. It, it's it's nice to see, isn't it? Especially with you know we've got Jarvis and we've got um, keeping him out the side, and he's been. I think he's been excellent as well. Yeah, yeah. So so it's nice to see Doral show us something a little bit different. Because as you said, I think a lot of people think he's a luxury player at times. My criticism of time times he would um, try and maybe do the spectacular rather than 
be basic if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So that would be that was used to be my main criticism, but again, he's he completely changed the play, and that must be something they worked on in the in the dress, uh, no, in the training ground, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it's interesting to me as well that actually his crazy side wasn't quite right. Um, in those two games, I would say. Although he did score the goal in, in Barna, which we'll get on to. Um, he did get some positions where he can do what he, he, he likes to do and didn't get the passing quite right. But, uh, you know, the value of his legwork in midfield and the fact that he was playing as a, as a fighting midfielder is uh, something that's very, very valuable. And then when you put that alongside Jordan Davis, who we've talked about as being an attacking midfielder or a creator... But in, in both these games, particularly the Sutton game, I didn't think he was quite as prominent against Barnett. But in the Sutton game, I mean, he put in a proper fighting defensive shift. Those three midfielders put in a hell of a lot of work. And I, I was I, w- I was very impressed with that. And I don't intend to be lapsing back into this sort of cliched Jordan Davis is a, is a, is a delicate soul who needs to be protected in midfield anymore because he really rolled his sleeves up and gave as good as he got there. Oh, 100%. He, he had a fantastic... He, he had a really solid game against Sutton. I, to be honest with you, man, I can't really say anyone on the pitch who had a really bad game against Sutton because it, even though it was a draw and I never really celebrate draws like a win, it sort of felt like a, a win in some regards because going away to Sutton, I can't... Can you think off the top of your head the last time someone beat Sutton, really? It, it's the... It, it, it seems to be a rare occurrence. They were on a five-game winning streak, weren't they, yeah. for us? I think their last loss was in the trophy at home to Woking, but I don't think they played a full-strength team. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, no, they're very strong. They've come back and won again in midweek. They're, I mean, yeah, they are the form side at the moment. And we've nullified them. Like I said, I think it just sums it up in a way. Their manager was really happy that they drew no null at home against us. He was really happy with the performance in which they created one chance, really. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a hell of a compliment to us, to be fair, isn't it, I think? Yeah, and as, as we, we both said a lot this season, if we carry on performing like that against the top sides, and we say we avoid losing like against your Hartley Pools and against your, your Suttons, uh, it's positive. If, just get, if, just, if you just get a point on the board against these teams, it, it will secure your playoffs. Your playoff... Um, uh, you'll, you'll definitely be in the playoffs at the end of the season. Sorry, I got some tight there. But um, exactly. Then, but then you have to have the pressure of beating teams like Barnett as well. Like we did. We'll get on to that in, in a bit. But yeah, at the moment, I'm very happy with Wrexham. I'm really happy. So with that certain game, what was your thoughts in a nutshell coming, coming, on, coming out on the end of it? Never mind the entertainment, feel the result. I think that's my, <laughs> that's my one sentence summary. Yeah, a dull nil-nil away to uh, a top team is a cracking point. And as you rightly say, it, it, it then meant that as long as we could cash in with the next away game, that it's a good week. And uh, we did that, I reckon. Might be time to move on to the Barnet game, do you reckon? Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, absolutely. So after this, we'll talk about our midweek victory. I'm Riesel Johnson, and you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio Show. Yeah, so as we said before the break, 
we needed to follow up that excellent point at Sutton with a win at Barnes. Barnes, of course, in the most hideous form you could possibly imagine. Um, and we did. Again, uh, you know, let's not pretend it was entertaining or terribly pretty, but I don't think that matters. This is a results game. And that was a very, very good week. Yeah, four points from them two games. Very happy. Well, going into Barnet, it was a complete opposite to how I was thinking in Sutton. The Sutton game, I was thinking, oh, as long as we walk away with a good performance or a solid performance and avoid losing, then that's a good result against Sutton. But on the flip side, Barnet, it, I hate saying this, it was a must win, wasn't it? Yeah. And we did that. I mean, certainly, if, if you don't win that game, you've dropped points compared to the other sides. I mean, that's one way of looking at a league, isn't it? You know, how many points did you drop against each team? And there'll be plenty of teams at the top end who will be cashing in on Barnet. We'd already dropped two points at home to them. We needed to win away, and we did so. And it was, uh, like I said, I'm not going to say spectacular. And I'm sure some people would have looked at Barnet's form and thought, well, we, we should just be dancing all over them. But uh, to be fair, there's lots of different ways to get relegated. And, you know, Barnes have got enough decent players to, to put a performance in. I think they reacted after their last home game. They were horrific. And they put in a good effort, especially in the second half. You have to beat the players in, in, in front of you. The, your opposition are entitled to play well. And Barnet did play by their standards well. And we had to show a bit of grit in the second half. But the first half was a, a sort of odd affair, wasn't it? I felt we were in control. I mean, they didn't create anything. But I wasn't sure a goal was coming for us either, really. Well, it, not really much. I can't really remember much from the first half, to be honest, apart from the goal. Um, but well, we had that... Um, when I do not, I'm, I sort of I'm a bit focused on chances because I make notes for the writing up the match report yeah. in the away game, and then for doing the highlights of the games. And I can tell you, I did not make many notes in the first half. It was that shot Jordan Davis had after 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Then the shot Jordan Davis had on the turn after seven minutes, and the keeper made a terrific tip over. Mm. And then nothing till the goal. And then after that, there was the free kick into the box by Young which was sort of prodded out and French drove it back in the goal mouth and it was clear there wasn't really a chance as such. And that was it in the first half. So between that early chance of Jordan Davis and the goal, I made no notes. <laughs> there was nothing in terms of actual chances. But but when the goal came, well, it was worth the wait, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, it was... It was a beautifully worth goal as well. I, I re, what I really liked about the most about our goal, which is a bit weird... Apart from the strike, no, the strike look, goal was amazing. But wrong, but Kwame Thomas's hold-up play, then yeah. the layoff was beautiful. And uh, does he does he even miss from long-range strikes very often? Young does he? he, he, he I think he ever missed. Twenty fourteen, I think. Yeah, yeah he, he just puts his laces through it. Yeah, and it's always it's always just ends up in the same place. It sort of looked like the the Wheelston goal, didn't it? A little bit. And uh, he's he's one excellent player, isn't he? Oh, it was one hell of a... What a beautiful hit. From behind the goal, you really saw what a pure strike of the ball it was. It was just bang. and Because the ball's not spinning or doing anything. It's just moving in a high trajectory straight line into the top corner. And, and I said in the podcast, he had so little to aim at, didn't he? The penalty area was crowded. And, you know, generally when you go for power into a 
crowded penalty area, somebody's going to get a block on it. But he had the little the little letterbox at the top. He had about a foot to play with it that's over people's heads. And he just banged straight in there. Oh, it was a fabulous strike, wasn't it? But it was funny, actually. Um, on the live stream, they changed cameras when Thomas was holding her up and went in closer. And so when he laid it back, you couldn't see Hughes laying it back too. And I was sort of thinking, okay, someone's going to try and hit it here, but that's a difficult finish. And then the moment it left his foot, I thought, you couldn't see who it was because you, you could just see his feet coming into the frame. But I, the moment you saw his foot, he thought, and, and the way it started moving immediately, I thought, oh, that's young. <laughs> oh, that's all right then. <laughs> He's the one player who's yeah. going to nail that, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, and sure did he hit it. And that, that was obviously the highlight of the first half. One thing I'd like to mention is... Um, how, what did you think of um, Tyler French going back at right wing back and not Riesel Johnson? I think it's a fitness issue for Johnson. I'm right. Paul Johnson, I'm assuming. I think, you know, he's been struggling with a couple of sort of niggly injuries this season. And I think it was just the fact that, okay, it's, it's two games in four days. He put a good shift in at Sutton. I thought he was really good at Sutton. And uh, maybe... You know, as we've now got a viable alternative in French, maybe, you know, it's not too bad to use French. Uh, I, I can see the opposite argument of, in a game like that against a team that's struggling, having Hall Johnson tearing at them probably threatens to open them up more. I've certainly mm. seen that. Although, to be fair, it was French who interplayed really well with Durrell down the right to get the ball into Thomas for that goal. So, to be fair to French, he's... He's got what they what people are now trying to call the pre-assist, the pass to the assist. Um, so yeah, it was it's a legitimate call. Although I, I I think it was a call made because we can we can do that because we've got a player who can play that role. Uh, yeah, Hall Hall Johnson a bit to, to get him up to full speed. I think. I think. Well, if Hall Johnson was not hundred percent fit. Barrett's a winnable game, whether we have mm. Reese Hall Johnson, Tyler French, or even Horsfield at right wing back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why not try something a little bit different against the, the more winnable sides and yeah. give give players a rest? Because I think we're going to need Reese Hall Johnson against Weymouth on yeah. Saturday. We'll get we'll, we'll talk about that in our preview preview podcast. I think Weymouth are a lot better sides when we first played them. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, give him a rest, and it, it worked out quite well, didn't it? It's <laughs> I think Tyler French is a fantastic job. He's a completely different style right wing back. He's more like your traditional right back in some ways because he's he's a centre back by trade, really. But he does bomb on, bomb on, and he is fast and physical. So I, yeah, I, I I do really like Tyler French in that position too. Yeah, yeah he's certainly got pace. We've seen him outpace strikers, only when he's playing in the middle and. Like it's 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 power with him, isn't it? With all Johnson, it's just sprinting ability, and with French, it's just pay, the pace, but power to just just barrel on in a straight line. And we saw that in the second half against Wheelston, where he was very influential once he started getting forward. So yeah, can I just I, you mentioned a good point about Kwame Thomas, and I I, I didn't comment on it. So I, just going back to that, uh, yeah, he, in these two games, Thomas hasn't had as much service. He hasn't shone like he has done in, in the games before that, but I think he's been very good. 
He's he's done well with what he's got. He's still winning a lot of headers. That setup was perfect, of course. Um, six assists for the season now. And I, I pointed out on the Wrexham Anorak uh, page on the, the website that the last player to get as many goals and assists in a season as him for Wrexham was John Rooney back in 2016. And to be fair to Thomas, we've not finished the season yet. There's a fair bit of it to go. So, yeah, again, a fair play to him. He's, he's got a lot of value, even in games where we're not getting much up to him. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think it's fair to say, Che, though, in the second half, we, we did struggle to get the ball forwards to him until at the last quarter of an hour. And we had to, uh, we had to suffer for our clean sheet, didn't we? To be honest with you, Mark, I thought it was a. I, I was watching a lot of the second half with my hands, you know, covering my face and watching my eyes are peeking between my fingers because I thought they might get a goal here. Yeah. And I know you said on the on your review podcast that you thought a lot of the a lot of their chances were offside and maybe poor calls. But even then, we I think we let we let them have we let them get back into the game as well. So I thought. Second half, I thought we were quite poor. But if you're playing quite poor and still winning 2-0 and having a clean sheet, it's not a terrible conundrum, really, is it? Well, that's very true. Um, I mean, both managers talked afterwards about how Barnett started turning us in the second half. And that's true. And I think that led to the difficulty we had going forwards because naturally our defence started to drop off because they're getting turned. Naturally, our midfield started dropping off to protect the defence. And we were left with a big gap between our defensive block and the two strikers, weren't we? But, um, yeah, I mean, I've got two ways of looking at this, I suppose, if I'm honest. I I felt the same way. I felt edgy. I thought they could nick a goal back here. Um, To be fair, I suppose, apart from that one-on-one, which I, unless there's someone out of picture um, on all the angles, which is possible, um, I said in the podcast, that's what happened with um, Luke Armstrong against Hartlepool. Record was out of the picture, but was deeper than everyone else. Unless that happens, the guy's offside. I mean, he must be a good spot ahead of play. Um, the flag didn't go up, so we're accounted. Dibble did well. Apart from that one, they're all shots from the edge of the box. So the fence are keeping them pretty at arm's length. Good save by Dibble from the first chance that Wordsworth had. Um but apart from that one, and then there was that deflected one, which again should not have counted because it was a blatant handball in the, in the immediate lead up to it. You know, maybe they didn't create that much. I'm not happy with how we let them get on top of us, but we defended it pretty solidly. And, and then in the last quarter of an hour, I think we did then start to cash in and, well, took control till the goal and then completely killed the game dead, didn't we, really? Our game management, as they call it, was, was impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, our defence is it's arguably one of the best in the league, isn't it? Yeah. And the combina- and Carrington, I can't praise that man enough. I think he's so professional. He's so solid. He's Mr. Cons- Mr. Consistent, reliable at pretty much most games, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that, you know, he's, he's certainly not come into the club years, well, eight years ago as a centre-back um, because he's so... Uh, adaptable. We've used him as a centre-back in a three. It's tended to be in an emergency and, you know, the feeling we used to get out of him was, well, he can do a job there. That's not his position. You won't, you're not going to leave him there. 
but he can do a job there. Now, <laughs> quite frankly, I, I don't look at him at all like that. I, the, mm-hmm. the, these recent games, he's been absolutely outstanding as a centre-back. He's done his job beautifully. Um, and I wouldn't have any qualms now if he stays in that position. Whereas previously, he was a, a useful stopgap if we had players out injured. But I mean, he's just, we you know he reads the game well, but he's he's robust and, and in there. And let's be honest, he's coming back straight into the team in this position from a long-term injury because he missed a huge chunk at the start of the season. <laughs> Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Fair play to him. Yeah, and we have such a plethora of centre-backs now, don't we? That You know, and centre-back combinations. We've had some centre-back combinations this season, haven't we? We've had Pearson, Kelleher have played together as well, haven't they? We've I am had... so sad. You you keep trying to name them. I'll, I'll bring up how many we've had. Go on. <laughs> oh, we've had um, Horsfield, yeah. Carrington and Kelleher, haven't we, at one point? Yeah. And I thought Horsfield did a fantastic job at centre-half as well. I liked um, what Keats said after the match, where he singled out for praise Rutherford and Horsfield, saying, I'd left them out of my 16. And it was basically a a credit to the squad that two blokes like that, who never let him down and who trained superbly week in, week out, couldn't get onto the bench. And I like the fact that he did that. I mean, that's how you keep your team spirit going, isn't it, really? Those are two good players. Um, and you, know, you want to make sure they understand that they are really valued. And I like the way he did that. I thought that was a smart touch. Well, if Rutherford and Horsfield get named into starting eleven on Saturday, I'm not really sad or crying about it or even or complaining about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, like you said, he's a good fullback. Um, he's done really well at centre back when we've asked him to. He's a good player, good, good all round player, Horsfield. Hello. Hello there. You there? Oh, sorry. I think it. I think it. Uh, yeah, I think the internet crackled a little bit then. Yeah, I think it's me again. I'm afraid. So, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Carry on. Go on. Edit that one out, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll. Um, yeah, I think at the back, I think we're so solid, and we're getting a lot of clean sheets. So I, I I've been very happy at the. Mo- I'm very happy with Wrexham at the moment. Right, let's get these sad stats that I've been collecting out of the way, shall we? Let's do it. Um, it's it's tragic this, but actually, it just occurred to me. Um, why don't I share my screen? Exactly. How dreadful my spreadsheet is. So there we are. Can you see that? Oh, let's have a look. Now, that pink box there is every central defensive partnership we've had this season. Wow. So now, admittedly, some of them, like because of French's red card, Kelleher and Horsfield played centre-back together for four minutes. You know, some of these combinations are a little more obscure shall we say, than others, or clearly that's, whether, I think that might have been the injury, so for Sal, possibly, Kelleher and record for 10 minutes in a game, but it's a heck of a lot of different combinations, and you know, threes and twos at the back, but I mean, wow, Kelleher, Vassell and Horsfield letting a goal every 132 minutes, that's, not <laughs> I know there's more to it than that, French, Kelleher and Carrington, a goal pretty much every two hours, uh, it's not bad. This bit down here, by the way, 
I'm aware that these are only circumstantial. They're not proof of anything. Goals per minute conceded when these players are playing in a defensive position. So as you can see, there are some strange ones, like Jeffrey played 28 minutes as a wing-back in one of the games earlier in the where we were trying to chase the match. Uh, Clowers played 90 minutes of a trophy game. Carrington, mm. interestingly, least goals per minute. When Carrington wow. was a defender, we let a goal in again every two hours. French, pretty much every two hours. Um uh, th- yeah, th- there's other indicators for that, aren't there, really, to be fair, and other circumstances. But uh, it's quite interesting to see it. <laughs> it's it's um, it's the one place in, that, in the pitch that I don't think we really need that much improvement because mm-hmm. even now, wing-backs, we have good cover for both wing-backs. You know, John Davis can play left wing-back too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Jamie Record's been fantastic in that position. So, yeah, I, I, fascinating to see all the, the partnerships we have had yeah. and the defensive record that we have had as well has been pretty good, isn't it? Especially at home. Yeah, oh, at so, home, we've now got... Because Solihull collapsed in midweek, we've now got the best home defence in the division. Um, our away defence doesn't look that great, but frankly, that's because at the start of the season, we were letting in goals in away games to teams, to the better teams. Well, no, no not just to the better teams. Uh, we had four against Wilson, didn't we, for example? Mm. Um, we had two against Weymouth. But now we seem to have tightened that up away from home, don't we? And we've just had two clean sheets. And now just remembered all the shot happened. So, OK, away from home, we're up and down, as you would say. Um, that here at the top, by the way, is just goals conceded per minute by the goalkeepers and clean sheets as well. And it's interesting to see that after Tuesday, after these two clean sheets, Dibble's actually conceding goals at a slower rate than Lainton, admittedly not by much. So, um, sorry, goals per match, 0.93 Dibble, 1.06 Lainton. Not much difference. And taking into account there, the substitute appearances worked out by minute. But um, yeah, fair play to, to Dibble for coming into the team. And obviously the defence does part of that work as well, but he's continuing the good work that Leinton does, which is quite a compliment if he can maintain his standards. Yeah, I know Dibble's maybe got a little bit more of a mistake in him than Leinton. I don't like to criticise too much, but it, it's competition in that position as well, isn't it? Yeah. So, so that's also nice to see. How healthy is that? You know, in, in a... It's funny, at the start of the season, I was really pleased with the squad that Keats brought in. And as you know, I often said, we've really got a good squad. We have genuinely got two options in each position. And at the start of the season, when it wasn't quite gelling, I was thinking, OK, maybe we're not quite living up to that. But now I think, apart from up front, where, to be fair, circumstances haven't helped us, we've got genuine uh, options all over the pitch, haven't we? I think the change of shape has helped us. I think that, mm. you know, it makes Carrington and Horsfield into viable centre-backs. It means that you don't have to rely on wide midfielders, perhaps, um, which maybe was an area of slight weakness. And, you know, I, I, it means more players make more square pegs and square holes, perhaps. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hello. 
Oh, your, your Wi-Fi went again then, mate. Yeah. I, I, heard, I heard most of it. <laughs> well, it'll probably, because it's recording centrally, it'll probably have picked up what I said, but it'll just pick up this gap as well. So, um, we'll, 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 what did I say? I forgot what I asked you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that our shape is better than... Yeah, yeah. Our change of shape means that more square. Yeah, and more elastic. I said it's like a more square pegs and square holes. So maybe if you carry on from yeah, from there, there. Just, you know, then then we can just do that. So I'll count you in if you like. Three, okay. two, one. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Right. Well, I, I was just saying, um, because we changed our shape, we got more options like Carrington Horse, who can play centre back. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, we've got more players who seem comfortable in the positions they're in, and our squad's starting to show that depth again. Right, I get, I get you, I get you. Sorry, I, 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 I had the brain fart then. That's all right. Don't worry, it's my <laughs> I explained it very well. <laughs> so, uh, but I, if you like, I'll just, I'll just say that, and then we'll just carry on from from here. Yeah, yeah? Okay. happy days. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So basically, because we've got this change of shape, players are in more comfortable in the positions they're in. And we are—we basically have got more square pegs and square holes. Yeah, it's it's promising to see, and we have a lot of players who can play several different positions, which is which is good. And I'd say the only—I'd say the only part of the field where we are lacking is strikers, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the, the thing is, I suppose the whole Adi Yusuf thing left us. Up the garden path, isn't it really? And every other club would be able to draft somebody in, and we can't. And I know we could say should be kept Bickerstaff, but I think it's important for Bickerstaff's development that he, he goes and gets games. So, True. if we have to play a striker with Jarvis off them, for example, if we get injuries, so be it. I thought it was interesting as well that Dean Keats singled out Jordan Ponticelli, saying that he's still not be able to get a season going. He's not be able to have that can consistency because of injuries but that because Dior Angus hasn't <coughs> been playing as much lately Ponticelli's chance will probably come Angus will need to have a little bit of a break at some point and he wants to be getting him on the pitch so that he's ready for that Well back back to the Bickerstaff thing um, I think Keats probably would have kept him in the squad if um, he knew the situation with Adi because it was a bit of a mess wasn't it and he left the last minute and left in the left is quite high, really. Because I think if we had Adi Yusuf and Ponticelli, our strike force has actually looked quite strong. But I think Keats probably would have kept hold of Bickerstaff if we if he had the if we knew Adi Yusuf was going well in advance. So we can't really blame anyone for that. Uh, but as you said, I think it is important for him to go to the Welsh Premier League and <laughs> further on his de- development, which I think he is doing. And only. He scored a goal on the weekend. More than happy for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Yusuf would have been on the bench. He wouldn't have been getting in ahead of Angus and Thomas, frankly. But we've seen he has done well off the bench as well, hasn't he? So he would have been useful to have around. But no point crying over spilt milk. He's gone. And yeah, yeah, we'll we'll carry on with what we've got. And at the moment, what we've got looks pretty decent. Keats talking about hoping in the next couple of weeks to have his entire squad available to him. That's that's good news. Definitely. So, it, what what are your thoughts on the ban again? What's what's the what's the overall thoughts? 
I guess like Sutton wasn't pretty, but it's a good result. It's a win. And end of an away win against a side who showed a bit of grit and tried to fight back in the second half. And they're, you know, all teams are entitled to do that and, and disrupt your plans. But we dug in when we had to. And then we haven't mentioned that lovely Durrell goal. So, hell of a good oh, finish. Even, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about that. And they were two worldies, really, weren't they, that yeah, separated yeah. the two teams? Uh, Durrell's goal was really beautifully slotted into the into the bottom corner. So, yeah, more of that, please, Durrell, this season. We know we've got he's got it. We've he's got it in him. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say, I, when I was editing it, I went back a little bit, obviously, to find the start of the move, and I think that showed what quality we have that Barnet lacked. Um, Tim Flowers afterwards mentioned part of it because he said that you know the ball's dropped on the edge of the area, Young is there with four Barnet players around him, but Young wins it. And he's quite right. And then Young played mm. off the sensible square pass. Mm. Um, but I would take it back a little earlier than that. The ball's knocked in the box and Thomas battles for it and creates that loose ball. I'm not sure whether he headed it backwards or whether he just forced the centre-back to head it out weakly. But either way, it doesn't matter. The fact is that you know, Thomas battled for a difficult cross and made something, kept kept the move alive. And then at the very start of that move, it's, it's funny, if you, if you look back, there are four 50-50s in a row and we win all of them. Just in midfield, before it gets out to the right flank. But I just thought, okay, so the very start, there's four 50-50s, we win them all. When the ball comes in, Thomas fights for that ball. Young then fights for that ball. Uh, you know, we've really... Shown, you know, that's the difference between those sides in a way that we decide that can make decisive interventions, that can battle for the ball. Barnet decide to lose too many of those. Uh, it's not like sticking a pass 10 yards all the time, I guess you relegated. It's the fact that all those little things don't happen for you. That's what gets you relegated. Hello? You greatly like that to that. Oh, is it gone again? Is it? Um, you're all right now. You're fine now. Just, just, yeah, just, just, just go again. Just go from now. Three, two, one. Yeah, I think um, it's not really great. Like that. Um, happy performance. Well, not really happy performance. Performance I must sound like a broken record. Winning two 0 and not playing great. It's fine. You sound a little bit like a Dalek rather than a broken record, but I'll live with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, Tim Flowers went, of course, the day afterwards, the Barnet manager. Um, his post-match interview was not a happy one. He, well, uh, the headline was slightly misleading in a sense. He called his team a bunch of losers, and that was what the headline was. But when you listen to him, he didn't quite put it in that, well, he did use that phrase, I don't think he meant it to sound quite as direct in a sense as the headline, taking out of context, makes it sound. But he was unhappy. And I think there's just a sense that Flowers, who's an experienced old hand at this level, has done what he can. He just can't get a tune out of his team. Sometimes it's yeah. difficult for a manager in that situation, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe Barnett will be for fortunate this season with maybe not having relegation. Yeah. Because yeah. you look, just look at their structure there. Look at their stadium. Their stadium looks absolutely fantastic. 
yeah. the facilities look really good. Um, I've never been, but it, from from viewing in, their, their commentators were fantastic and very well knowledgeable as well the other day. So they're obviously a club of a lot of structure. Mm. And if, if, if they do avoid the drop this season because of... Cause I don't think they're... They're, they're not, obviously not going to avoid the drop if the National League doesn't... Uh, if the Rev actually has, has relegation this season, then they're not going to avoid the drop, are they? But um, if they do avoid the drop, that you could see them fighting for playoffs next season with a good rebuild because the size of their club and the, the structure of their stadium and what have you. So, yeah, good luck to them for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah it's going to be painful for them, isn't it? Um, yeah. The, the downside for them is what we talked about in the preview podcast, that they have consciously gambled for two years with the money they got as a parachute payment. It didn't work. And when you fail in a gamble, you pay a consequence. And this is the consequence. So it's difficult in that sense, perhaps, to rebuild. Although Torquay have shown how you can do that because uh, they were struggling and have rebuilt. Um, the positive, though, is like you said, they've got that wonderful setup there. They've got a good youth system. The youth facilities are stunning. I mean, when you go around the back of that main stand and it's just uh, 4G pictures as far as the eye can see, I mean, it's marvellous. And as well as that, they are essentially in London. And that's a big, big advantage. You've got a big network of non-league players who want to stay in the London area. You've got a lot of uh, higher-level teams who will have young lads who are decent and don't make the grade and they'll want to stay in the area, so you might pick up players from Orient, from Charlton. You see plenty of ex-Spurs and West Ham players in these uh, London-based uh, non-league teams. Yeah. And just the very fact, you know, it's just an economic truth, isn't it? If you are near the big city, you will have more opportunity. You'll probably get more chance of sponsorship or significant people being able to support you. Um, so they have got a lot of advantages. They, they were yeah. used by BT to train up all the National League cameramen, uh, you know, so it could be used as a training centre. They've got good sort of conference facilities there near London. That's handy. They've got a lot in their favour. Although I will say about their stadium, there is one issue, which is that if it rains and you're in the commentary area, you get wet, which isn't good when you've got electrical equipment. <laughs> I can promise. <laughs> well, that, that's, if that's the only thing that, that's frustrating in that stadium because I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, I've got to say to you as well, I have, I've, as you've been there, the stands that the cameras are in is much more impressive than the one opposite. That's a much nicer stand. Um, so that, that it's a very football league ready ground, isn't it? Oh, no question. No question. Um, the, the re- I got wet. It was the last time that well, I was there, which was the previous away game. Um, and it was a strange sort of day. It was on and off, like showery at the start of the game. And you weren't really cut. The commentary positions are quite weirdly close to the pitch because that stand opposite the cameras essentially is like the conference centre with a few seats in front of it. It doesn't go back all that far. And yeah, so you, I was sort of wondering, what am I going to do here if the rain actually really comes in? I mean, I can't let my equipment get wet because it might explode or something, you know. What yeah, am I, luckily yeah. it didn't, but if it was pouring down, I'm not sure what they would do. Um, the, the other weird thing about that game, just to delve back down memory lane for a bit, was the nature of the match itself. Oh, my word. It was daft. So we, we were trying to get in the playoffs. We're losing at half-time. We came back really well in the second half. I was under Brian Hughes. 
Akil Wright scores a good header at the start of the half, so we're level. We're trying to push on and push on. We can't get the winner. And then last 10 minutes, we brought on Jermaine McGlashan, who was a particularly ineffective signing as a winger. Um, <laughs> very lightweight, didn't really achieve much. And fair play to him. We stuck a ball into the box. He went chasing after it. He managed to get contact on it and force it towards goal as he's being tackled and sort of squeezes it into the ground as well. And I was directly behind it and got it looks much it was much the, the highlights don't the camera angle doesn't do it justice. I was right behind it. He's managed to squeeze it into the ground and it spins up, takes the bit of deflection, it goes over the keeper, but it's clearly going wise. It's definitely going wise. It's no question. But there's so much spin on it, it bounces about a yard wide of the post, and then just like an off-break in cricket, it just span back into the net, and we won 2-1. Oh, it was, it was hilarious. But <laughs> <laughs> just how you want to win in a way game, I tell you. Oh, yeah, a, a dodgy bouncing ball hitting the net is as good as a 30-yard screaming. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mind you, I don't know, maybe I haven't seen Elliot Durrell do that. Maybe, maybe I should step back a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so le- leading on to that Weymouth game though um, a win was vital and it, it eases a lot of pressure and I think looking at where Weymouth are on the table I know we're going to talk about that in a, in a separate preview podcast but going into that uh, game four, with four points from those last two games is really good Massive gives us that opportunity doesn't it two home games now two very significant home games like you said Weymouth are just outside the relegation zone, if it is a relegation zone, and then Eastleigh, who are the team at the moment who are right behind us, although that midweek win means we're five points clear of them, which again, yeah. I think illustrates the point I tried to make about uh, having points in the hand rather than games in yeah. hand. So, you know, if we could maintain this momentum, I mean, that would be a chance for us to really open a proper daylight between us and Eastleigh, which would be fantastic, but... Yeah, uh, uh, like you said, we'll go into Wheel uh, Weymouth in detail, but they are a different proposition to Barnet. They are a different proposition to what they were when we played them and beat them earlier this season, and they'll be a bigger test than maybe some people might expect. I think. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll tell you what. Just looking back on what we said about uh, screamers winning matches, away matches. After this, we're going to hear from a a very popular character from the 80s who had a habit of scoring screamers at Stockport on a Friday night, but nowhere else. Well, I say that, he also got one in a playoff semi-final, which wasn't too bad. So after this, we'll hear from our erstwhile left-back, Darren Wright. I'm Jordan Pondicelli, and you're listening to the Dragon Art Radio Show. Well, Darren, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Always, you were always a player I enjoyed watching. Um, you came from Wolves, and you straight away had a connection, didn't you, with uh, George Shawell being there already at the club? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember sort of my first day at the club, um, uh, meeting George, um, in all honesty. Um, I didn't really know that he played for Wolves, even mm. though he played in probably the club's one of the most historic games that they ever played in, which was an FA Cup final. Um, and um, it was only when he reminded, well, he introduced himself and said, uh, I am George Shell and uh, I used to play for Wolves. He said, I'm from Bilston. 
which is a <laughs> part of the black country that I do very well, yeah. being from Tipton. Um, and he says, uh, you'll, you'll be all right here, kid. <laughs> so as soon as he said that, it made me feel really at home. And um, of course, uh, you know, Roger Priest was there as well at the yeah. time. Uh, he just come the same time as me. And we've been at Wolves together. So, mm. uh, you know, it, it felt like, uh, you know, yeah. playing for a playing for a club um, that I've been to before, to be honest with you. And with you, you and Rogers, even though one on the left, one on the right, you seemed in the fans' minds, I think, to be sort of a pair almost. So it was obviously yeah, the, yeah, the link. Um, and, you know, there was that, that sort of, uh, you both were similar, committed, wholehearted players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we'd, we'd come out of the youth team at Wolves and um, we had a, an old um, youth team coach called Frank Upton who'd been at Villa and West Ham and uh, Chelsea and you know he was a stickler for discipline he was a stickler for the more physical side of the game so you know if you didn't if you didn't uh, you know put your foot in as we used to call it if you didn't if you didn't do that then you know he, he, he would be yeah. the first one that'd be jumping at it on, on you at half time it was something that um, as you know as a, as a sort of 16 17 year old we'd kind of had it built into us, um, you know. We played we played a lot of youth football against men's teams yeah. when we were at Wolves, um, playing in sort of like the Midland Football League and things like that. So, physicality was part of our game. So, I think when we kind of come to Wrexham, and um, even though we were still very young, sort of eighteen year olds, you know, mm. the physical side of it, and and seeing the eighteen year olds are already there, I think we actually actually felt like men's you know, straight away. Yeah. We were kind of the first team squad, even though we were only just coming out of our apprenticeships, if you know what I mean. So it was, uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was really good. It, it's, it suggests me that because, you know, obviously academies are very different now from the sort of youth setups that there were then. And, yeah. Um, you know, as some sense, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm, my view is coloured by the fact that Wrexham are fifth, five leagues down now. But young lads we get from academies tend to be very technical, but really not ready for the sort of yeah. men's game. Um, yeah. Whereas, like you say, you guys, you had a, a proper sort of baptism. Yeah. You were ready to get in against people who were playing for their livelihoods. You know, it was, I mean, I, I made my debut when I was 17 mm. at Wolves. Played against Plymouth um, at Home Park in the old third division. Yeah. Uh, 17 years old, just thrown in, um, you know, when the club was going for a bit of a time. And... Um, yeah, it does. It, it kind of it does. You have to be a man straight away. You have to be, you have to be prepared to do the physical side of the game. Um, you know, I know that they do now, but it's definitely different. You know, before I moved to Cornwall, where I live now, yeah. I was actually working for for Wolves Academy, um, and the change um, in the approach towards uh, the development of the players was completely different to when. Mm. When I was a player, you know, it was, um, you know, they, they, they've got all their right age groups to play. They've got all the right sports science backing that. And, um, you know, it's just a different world now. Mm. You know, even at, even in the sort of League, league 1 and League 2, you know, you're going to get a different mindset regarding um, the development of their players. You know what? Um, not that long after you came to us, I remember there was a documentary on TV about the Wolves youth setup. <laughs> 
and I, I was watching out for both you and Roger. I spotted you, and then Roger didn't appear for a while, and then they showed some footage for a match. Uh, one of the players on the other side is running towards the camera, and then from yeah. about knee high, someone's yeah. studs came in. I thought that's Roger, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll do it. It's called Moment of Truth. That was an uh, yeah. BBC documentary. Mm. And they spent six months um, with us as um, uh, filming us in different, um, you know, playing for the reserves, playing for the youth team, training. Um, and, um, you know, Tommy Doherty was the manager at the time. Um, and then partway through the documentary, I actually got sacked. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was, um, and Frank up to that youth development officer, he got sacked mm. as well. You know, it was a. Uh, it was a complete clear out of the decks and um, you know it, it was just the harshness of the times mm. you know um, you know being at the club when it was at its probably, probably lowest ebb or you know I, I know recently Wolves did sort of drop down the divisions before they climbed back up to the premiership but you know when I signed for the clubs as a schoolboy they were in you know the old division one yeah. which would be like the premier league now and then when I left of course and come to Wrexham mm. They were just going into Division 4. Yeah. And it was great to play against them, uh, to be honest with you. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that must have been a, a heck of an experience. And at the old sort of, the old cavernous Molyneux with the massive cop and everything as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, when we played, um, I think there was just, uh, I think maybe just two sides of the ground open. Yeah. At the time. Um, and it was, um, you know, obviously it was great to, I think we, I think we beat them actually um, at, at yeah. Molyneux. Um, and, um, that was that was fantastic for me. Um, not not so good when I went home to my parents' house for the weekend. I went from school, knocking on the door saying, "What the hell are you doing playing for Wrexham?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, he turned up at my mum's house and, and I had a conversation with him on. Yeah, I think it was uh, one of the games between Wrexham and Wolves was Steve Ball and Thompson's debuts for Wolves, and and we yeah. we put four goals past them if I remember at the racecourse as well. We beat them quite heavily both times yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always it was always great to play against. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's great to play against your old club that you, you know that you yeah. sort of you know grew up with. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was I mean, I was I was a fan of the club before I was a player, but mm. uh, you know. Uh, when you when you do play against him, you see uh, sort of Joey having his battles with Bully and that. <laughs> uh, fantastic, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Of course, yeah. you know nowadays that sort of thing wouldn't happen. And um, mm. you know, I, I think there'd probably be six players on each side left on, on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a few clear memories of those games. Um, one was the, the sadness of seeing Molyneux like that. I'm the same age as you, Darren, and I was in the stands, uh, sitting watching yeah. it, thinking, you know, what a what a fan. fan well, I, I was there to see Wrexham playing FA Cup at Wolves in '81, yeah. yeah. and to see yeah. it now, you know, in that state was sad. It's good to see it recover. Yeah. The other memory I've got is being on the cop. And Mark Kendall trying to get his tracksuit bottoms off, and every time he tried to, he'd get his studs caught in them, and then we'd attack. And he ended up falling into his own net. And he, this went on for about ten minutes. Him like waiting until the ball was in our box, and then trying to pull his pants off and failing. Oh, we had a great, great old time watching that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some great memories in the, regarding the. Uh, you know, I mean, Wolves and Wrexham have a pretty good connection, I think, over the years. Yeah. You know, there's always been sort of. Uh, some kind of connection there. Mm. Um, even recently, I think you know. I think um, mm. even now, I think you've got um, somebody who plays for the club now that was at Wolves. Yeah, um, we, we've had a good sort of link. Um, we, we've we've 
some of our youth players have gone to Wolves and joined their youth setup, yeah. and, and then some have come back. And, and, is that? and coaches as well, you know. Yeah. When I was coaching in the academy there, you've got Darren Ryan. I think mm. he'd been at Obviously, Steve Weaver, yeah. you know. Weaver's a Weaves good lad, and he'd, um, he was quite high up uh, yeah. in the Wolves coaching mm. uh, setup. up um, and I think I think I think you got um, somebody called Record who plays for you at the minute. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, he was he was in Wolves uh, reserves mm. or under the under twenty threes. I'm sure he was yeah. quite recently. Yeah, he came uh, from Solly Hull, but uh, yeah, a left back. So you you know all about them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although, funnily enough, yeah. Darren, I mean, we were saying before about the sort of technical nature of young players coming through now. But my recollection of you was that unusually for a fullback, and certainly you know, bar from the last few years, you you were very two footed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, mm. um, I played um, for Wolves at right back and left back. Well, mm. I actually started as a centre-back centre mm. when I was sort of, you know, 14 or 15. I was quite physically big and, and you know, quite strong for my age. So I started off as a, as a centre-half, you know. But um, as time moved on, I kind of found myself in sort of like the full-back berth. Uh, and in the central, the central league, as it was back then, playing yeah. in the reserves, I played in at both left-back and right-back. Um, of course, when I went to Wrexham, you know, Dixie said... You know, where do you play? And I said, right back. He said, oh, yeah, well, we've got a right back. But, you know, we want to struggle for left back a little bit. I said, well, you know, I've played there. Mm. It wouldn't be uncommon for me to play there. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, I think it, it works in some respect because um, when you're playing on the left-hand side and you're naturally right-footed, when the play opens up and you can join in, yeah. um, especially especially with the attacking side of the game, it's, um, it does offer itself to... You know, playing off the front, having it back and having a shot, which is what I used to do quite yeah. a bit of, uh, and so occasionally I'd score. You know, so, um, you know it was a, it was always a, a kind of, and of course, you know, the opposition, the scouting networks weren't that good back then, so they automatically assumed you go down the outside of the pitch and try and get across it, yeah, because that's that's what the game was. You know, four four two back in the day, you know, get as wide as quick as you can and get the crosses in the box for. Forwards to score, but mm. you know we did try and you know mix that up a little bit. You know we were playing balls into Kevin Russell and playing little one twos. You know whoever it was who was playing up the top there, and you know it sometimes worked for us. And then um, it was great because it was. And also when you're defending, you know yeah. if you think of the, of the ball being on the opposite side of the pitch and a cross comes across, mm. you know you're gonna you're gonna clear that with your natural uh, foot as opposed to letting it come across yeah. your body as a normal left back. You know there's always that. If you're letting the ball come across your body, there's always the chance that you know a striker or a forward can nip it in front of you then and get the ball. Mm. So it did have it did have its um, it pluses, you know. And yeah. um, I suppose sometimes you know not being naturally left-footed, the quality of the passes going forward probably weren't as great as they could have been. But you know, we we we, we I mean Dixie Dixie liked it. Dixie yeah. loved playing that with us like that. So <laughs> it was it was great. I absolutely loved it. And uh, you made your debut in Malta, didn't you? I, I, we used to always say in those days, you know, us being in Europe could would attract yeah. players. But yeah, that's that's a weird place to suddenly find yourself playing the first game for us. You, you know, it was dead strange because um, <laughs> the season before that, we I'd gone with Wolves there to, uh, on a um, end of season tour, so I'd already played against. Um, uh, it was the Maltese national team we played against <laughs> actually when I was at Wolves and. Um, we just played him in a friendly, you know, just an end of season thing. We'd gone on 
tour over there and um you know so we'd already played in Malta funnily enough and then of course I get a chance to play against Zuriac and mm. I was just I remember saying to Dixie oh that's oh you know they ain't gonna be very good because we beat the national side you know <laughs> 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 the club side they ain't gonna be that good yeah. well, you weren't um, you weren't wrong that's really were you? <laughs> no, no they were good yeah the standard of football weren't very good to be honest yeah I was on a holiday in Malta about five years ago and my son's a big Wrexham fan as well and uh, we went off on a bus and ended up accidentally stumbling across the stadium you played at and um, good it looked like a hard pitch as well you know the sun's baking it (laughs) yeah it was yeah I remember us training and we had to have some tablets and you know all manner of stuff just so we could you know sort of get through the game and the training session well you said about yeah oh yeah and uh, well hang on that that was then was that Zaragoza next then I'm just getting mixed up um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it was Went to extra time as well, didn't it? It's terrific what yeah. we used to do in Europe, gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant yeah. days. I tell you what, I, I, you mentioned goals before, I've, I, and I, I, I was desperate to mention this. There's an obvious goal, we'll say, but before we get to that, you scored some screamers, and yeah. you had something against Stockport County, I seem to recall, <laughs> consecutive Friday nights where yeah. we went to Stockport and you just belted it in from 30 yards. Yeah, I think, you know, it was just it was just one of them occasions, wasn't it? You know, where, again, I've, I've sort of come up to my right foot. And as, as a kid growing up, I always used to love shooting. You know, as a, you know, in fact, in my early days as a, as a, when I was growing and, and sort of involved as a schoolboy at Wolves, I did actually play as a forward player and sometimes in midfield. So it wasn't strange for me to have a little pop-up goal occasionally if, if I felt it right. So, you know, it was just one of them times. They had scored many goals for them. And um, I just thought, you know what, just going to have a shot. There was nothing else on. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, like you say, for some strange reason, it happened again, it happened again the year after, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it was just <laughs> weird, absolutely weird. But, uh, you know, great memories. And, um, of course, against Stockport, who were, I suppose you would class them as a bit of a local. Yeah. A local yeah. You know, so... Um, great, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. When the ball comes to you in the second match, does it go through your mind? Oh, I've done this before here, or do you just you just in the game? <laughs> uh, I think it kind of in the back of your mind. Yeah. Thinking, well, I've done it before. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, why not? You know? Muscle memory, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think in all honesty, I mean, I think there were quite similar goals as well. Mm. If I remember rightly, you know, I don't think yeah. there was much to choose between them. So. I, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, I've got a bit of a strike on me. Let's have, let's have, let's have a go. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, I was caught him right. <laughs> uh, you know, he could have flew 20 foot over the bar, but luckily for me, he screamed into the back of the head. 
and then the Scunthorpe screamer was the as the one I was leading up to, of course, the semi-finals of the playoffs to nail it like that, and well, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, was it a free kick? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because I've got a decent strike on me, you know, casually. Um, we need to be in a decent position for me to have a strike, uh, and we've been practicing them obviously in training and things like that. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I end up stepping up there. Sometimes it'd be John Bowden who'd take it, yeah. or Kevin Russell, um, and then or Jeff Hunter, and then sometimes me. You know, and luckily for me, it was that on that night. It was it was it was me, and I struck it well, and it went in. So yeah. fantastic, yeah, that was. Then... And then Orient, sadly, where we just just missed out, didn't we? It was frustrating that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know, I think we we let ourselves down a little bit at home. I think we could have played a little bit better at home, to be honest with you. Perhaps took a bit of an advantage to their ground. Yeah. Um, of course, the the, play, the legs were played on with away then, weren't they? As yeah, as, yeah. You know, went through that. But um, yeah, I think we probably it was one of them, weren't it, where we. We got our hopes up of, of, of getting a good result at home and then mm. taking it to audience, and it didn't quite happen. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think on the day at Orient as well, we, we I don't think we probably played as well as we could either. I yeah. think we could have played better. Um, it was just that you know, it just it, we just it just passed us by a little bit, mm. which yeah. is regrettable. But you know, um, I think. Um, I don't know how the board would have seen it, but had we have got promoted, <laughs> really, you know what I mean? it, might, it, it might have been a bit of a shock to the system. But um, you know, obviously, when you're out there playing, on, when you're out there playing, you're not thinking about things like that. But uh, you just want to win, you know what I mean? But um, and of course, for the fans, you want you want to do your best for the fans. Uh, but we just fell short a little bit, I thought, on the day. The um, and then the next season we had different financial issues, like you said, the board maybe would have, wouldn't have been prepared yeah. for the extra expenditure as well. Um, sure. And it was frustrating. I, I, your time at Wrexham, of course, horribly ended because of an injury, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, funny enough, I've recently uh, had to sort of talk about things like that with the PFA yeah. because of, uh, I've, I've just recently had, um, had my knee uh, replaced. Right. Literally, my left knee replaced, yeah. and the PFA um, sort of paid for that for me. Um, but um, yeah, it had to go back to obviously uh, the last game we ever played for Wrexham, which was against Doncaster Rovers. Mm -hmm. um, so it did bring back some memories. Um, and after that, then I think I only made one sub appearance, which was the, because of the European rules at Lingby. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I was. Uh, I think I was sub. Just because I was, you know, classed as part of the club for a long time, so mm. it was the rules back then for the European games. And um, but uh, but yeah, last actual game for Exxon was against Doncaster, mm. yeah. and I think it, it was a tackle that I went into with a lad called Mark Rankin. Yeah, who, who actually I actually got to know because he signed for Wolves um, mm. not long after um, with James Kelly. Yeah, um, and um, and I actually got to know him really well because of that reason and actually got him some digs in sort of Wolverhampton yeah. oh. from that area and, that, and, uh, and James as well mm. um, so but yeah I mean you know it's one of them and it's just a tackle you just do in every game yeah. unfortunately for me it was the one that kind of wrecked my knee beyond repair mm. if you like yeah, um, yeah. and um, you know it was it was the one that ended it but uh, you know I, I have no regrets about that but yeah. it's uh, 
yeah, I just wished I could have. I could have seen myself probably stopping at Wrexham for quite a bit longer. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think there were some challenges there with the left-back position. Because mm. Phil Hardy was a good player and he was, he was coming through, you know. Alan Kennedy had just arrived at the yeah. club. Um, but, you know, I was still young. Yeah. Uh, and I think I probably could have challenged for that position or even another mm. one, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, and, it, it, and funny enough, after... After you, you know, you, you sort of know that you probably times up there, and you, you speak to people. We used to have a, a scout at the club called John Green, okay. um, lovely, lovely fella, mm. and um, he told me that uh, you know there was a lot of big clubs looking at me before mm. I got injured. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't know at the time, and obviously, you know, there's you hear weird things, don't you? Yeah. Like he, he, uh, he said, yeah, he said, there was lots of big clubs looking at you, you know, before you got your, your injury. And I was like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of them. I, I could have seen my, my time probably spent at Wrexham a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a few more years there. Um, but uh, it wasn't to be. And that's the way life is, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, it was a shame for us as well. You know, I don't think Kennedy would have come in if you'd been fit and had done. It would have been brilliant to see you and Hardy both, you know, going through. Yeah. You know, but I think it'd have been a, it was a sad day yeah. for us when you couldn't play anymore. I tell you. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, it was. I mean, I'd, I'd won sort of what I'd won sort of a young player of the year a couple of times. Mm. You know, and I was still only what twenty twenty one then, maybe yeah. twenty two, just coming. And you know, Phil was what seventeen, eighteen. Mm. No, I think if the future for sort of like the, the club as regards the left hand side of the pitch would have been fantastic, you know. Yeah. Um, and obviously, with Alan, yeah, you're right. When Alan Kennedy come, I kind of kept him out of the team, really, mm. uh, with all of his experience and all of his, uh, you know, um, the, you know, his, the level he played at, and the mm. trophies he won, and the medals he won. Um, it was one of them, it? you know. I just used to come to train every day and think, well, all right. I'm keeping Alan Kennedy at the team. He's won the European Cup, yeah. so that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> scored a winning goal in one final. Was scored a winning penalty in the other, but yeah. he's not getting past you. Fair play. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you know, you, you think about that and actually being his, his teammate, and you just yeah. think, wow. Same with Joey. You know, sort of uh, the level of, of football that Joey played at. The competitions he played in and the players he played against, you know, for Wales yeah. and for Wrexham, uh, and you know, you just, you know, you kind of pinch yourself really to think that he was actually one of his, you know, his teammates, because mm. um, uh, yeah, but both Joey and Alan Kennedy, great, great right. people, by the way, absolutely fantastic people, yeah. uh, and really good, you know, really great players, absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic players. Yeah. Well, I always loved the story of Alan Kennedy signing for Liverpool. And giving a call box as his phone number to Liverpool, and having to stay in the phone box for the whole day waiting because he didn't have a phone in his house. Yeah. And that I've would, that would not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got it there for final thing I'll ask you. And I tell you what, th- this is more just therapy for me. I've got to be honest, more than anything else. I'm sure that when you were playing for Wrexham, I was driving down Ferry Road. Uh, where the old Welsh FA headquarters used to be, and I swear I saw you stuck in a phone box, and I've always n- beaten myself up for not coming and helping because it looked like the door was jammed. All oh, right. Is yeah. that true? Do you ever remember being stuck in a phone box? <laughs> I, I, I can't remember that to be honest with you. Um, it was probably I, someone else. Where's Where's Fairy Road now? Explain to me where in the town that is. Oh gosh, you, if you were going towards the town from the club, you'd have to turn right 
and sort of head around the edge of the town a bit. So we're past the brewery. Down that yes, way. down that way. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So we, <laughs> you know, me and Rog lived down that way for a little bit. Ah. Um, we sort of had a house um, not far from the town centre. To be honest, with yeah. you. we rented we rented a house of someone um, not far from the town, and he was <laughs> he was down that way. But I can't ever remember being stuck in a fucking <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it does, I think it's something that would stick in your memory. It, it must have been a tribute act, I think, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. yeah. See if he volunteers the stories again. <laughs> Fantastic oh. Well, Darren, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, like I said, I, you were always a player that stuck in my mind, and I was really keen to, to chat to you. And you yeah. certainly haven't disappointed. There's some fantastic well, tales there. Thank you so much. I, I absolutely love my So, this is it then. End of the show. Big couple of home games coming up, Jay, but fair play. We've got the momentum going now. I'm feeling uh, you know, this, this This feels like an opportunity now, doesn't it, to really drive home our, our promotion credentials. Yeah, 100%. We've got um, Weymouth and Eastleigh. Uh, that, on paper, you look at the Weymouth game, you think, oh, uh, we should be winning that and we should be winning it but recently they've been really good so it's just time to kick on carry on being as consistent as we have been yeah exactly exactly well let's hope where we can succeed those games of course you can get a live stream which I'm sure you'll agree is looking rather classy at the moment uh, also we've got the live mixer commentary and then Highlights will be coming out midnight Monday morning for the Weymouth game. They'll be coming out 10 o'clock Wednesday evening for the Eastleigh game. Those are the, the rules. They're embargoed until then by the National League. Of course, if you can't wait for them, we'll have post-match podcasts, question and answer live streams on YouTube, and all sorts of goodness. So, remember, subscribe, like, Activate notifications, write reviews, give us star ratings, all those things, push us up the charts, and all those things help to bring revenue into the club. So let's hope that we can have some 
good stuff again next week to report on after a successful week this week. Uh, pleasure as always, Che, to be chatting to you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that one, Mark. Excellent. And, well, let's finish this just as Wrexham finished at Barnet with a late appearance by Jay Harris and his Hollywood send-off. This is Jay Harris and you're listening to Dragon Heart Radio. (laughs) 